first of our scripture lessons this morning is taken from the Legend of the Hebrews, one of the pastoral letters of the New Testament, reading from the 12th chapter, just verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that, the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Our gospel reading this morning is taken from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, verses 14 uh, through 20. The, uh, it's about the institution of the uh, Lord's Supper. When the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him. Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This ends our scripture lessons for this morning. Let us pray. In the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The first the scripture lesson we heard this morning, the brief selection from the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews begins with the words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And then the passage goes on to tell us what kind of life we should lead. When I first read this passage, I wasn't sure to what the great cloud of witnesses referred. When I checked, it seemed that most biblical scholars believed that it referred to other people. This was confirmed by one of many translations of the Bible, the New Living Translation, which translates the passage as, quote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the faith, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. This implies that the cloud of witnesses refers to people who are witnesses to our behavior, to our way of life, to the way we conduct ourselves as Christians. This makes sense. A Christian should be a role model to others. We should show people what a life of faith looks like. As we know, we convert more people by our actions, by the quality of our life and our interaction with them, than we do by our words 
our sermons, our attempts at evangelization. When people learn about our political views, how we are voting in this Tuesday's election, do they see that these political views are grounded in the teachings of Jesus? That they reflect the mind and the heart of Jesus? This passage from the letter to the Hebrews is a reminder that other people are looking at us. When they look at us, what do they see? Mahatma Gandhi spoke to this when he said that he, a devout Hindu, found the teachings of Jesus to be spiritually profound. Gandhi went on to say that if someone were a Christian, this should show in the person's life. It should make a discernible difference. The Christian should stand out from others, from those whose lives are not grounded in the teachings of Jesus. Then Gandhi said, sadly, he had not found this to be the case. If Gandhi's observation is true, and it may very well be, isn't this sad? Do we really have to go around telling people that we are Christians? Do we have to announce it to the world? By the way, I would just like to tell you that I am a Christian. Can't you tell by the big shiny cross that is hanging around my neck? Is this what it means to witness to our faith? Or in the words of our hymn, can people tell we are Christians by our love? The love we show to each other and the love we show to the world. The reference to the cloud of witnesses refers to other people. I totally agree with this point of view. As Christians, we should be role models to others. We should show them what a life of faith looks like. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was transparent to God, which means that if you looked at Jesus, you saw through Jesus to God. So also, we should be transparent to Christ. When people look at us, they should see through us to Christ, to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. When they look at us, if all they see is us, perhaps we haven't fully grasped what it means to be a Christian. However, there is another way of looking at this passage. The cloud of witnesses that surrounds us may refer to something more mystical. It may be what the Apostles' Creed refers to as the communion of saints. The Apostles' Creed proclaims that we are surrounded, we are surrounded by the saints who have gone before us. It is to our impoverishment that we do not recognize the saints that live within us, that surround us, and from whom we can draw strength, courage, and guidance for our lives. As Pope Pius XII once said, the world should be more conscious of the presence of angels. I actually couldn't find that quote online, but I am quite sure that Pope Pius XII said it. The world should be more conscious of the presence of angels. This brings us to the celebration of All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Before you object that this observance is Roman Catholic, 
I would like to remind you that the Roman Church is part of our heritage, at least up to the time of the Protestant Reformation and in many ways after the Reformation. As you know, I claim to be in the tradition of not only the great Roman Catholic mystics like Meister Eckhart and Francis of Assisi, but also people from the monastic tradition like Thomas Merton and Henri Nouwen and Brother Theophane, the monk who wrote Tales of a Magic Monastery. We don't have to accept the theology or the teaching of the Roman Church as authoritative because as Protestants we claim the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as our ultimate authority. However, this doesn't mean that Catholics can't have some good ideas. All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows Day, remember, saints have historically been known as Hallows, it's in the word Hallowed, or the Feast of All Saints is a Christian celebration to honor all known and unknown saints and martyrs. It falls on November 1st and is preceded by Halloween. It's vigil on October 31st. All Saints Day is followed by All Souls Day on November 2nd. Together, these three days of remembering the dead form what is called a tritium, a religious observance lasting three days called the Tritium of Hallowtide. People in many cultures traditionally visit the graves of deceased relatives during this time and place a lighted candle on their grave. While All Saints Day is dedicated to those who are in heaven, All Souls Day is a day of prayer for those who have died but have not yet reached heaven. All Saints Day is closely related to the Mexican Day of the Dead, in the Celtic festival of Samhain. If we ever resume our movie nights as a church, which I hope to do someday, one of the movies I would like us to watch is Coco, C-O-C-O, -O, a beautiful movie which is about the Mexican Day of the Dead. For those of you who can't wait for us to get around to resuming movie nights one Friday evening every month, if you have a son, a daughter, or especially a grandchild, you'll be able to access it online. This morning, I would like us to think about what it means to be a saint. Saints are those who experience the kingdom of God within themselves and who make this eternal realm a living reality in their lives and in the world. As we are reminded by the words of our opening hymn, a saint is one for whom Jesus Christ is their rock, their fortress, and their might. They are the ones whose path through the darkness is illumined by the one true light. If we can move past the battle imagery of this hymn, remembering that it was written at the time of the Civil War, we can see that it is calling us to be saints as well. So this morning I would like us to think about the communion of saints, the fellowship of those throughout history who have embraced the Christian faith, who have in all their humanness and to the best of their ability taken on the heart and the mind of Jesus. When we think of the saints, our hearts should be filled with gratitude. They were human, just like us. 
We can learn from their lives and from their struggles. They remind us that we are not the first to walk the path of the cross, if indeed we are walking the path of the cross. The saints were exceptional people, exceptional men and women. They show us what is possible for human beings who live faith-filled lives. They show us that miracles are possible, that if we have faith, we can do what Jesus did. Our prayers can facilitate healing in or bring life to those who suffer physically, emotionally, or spiritually. The saints are alive not only in the realm of God, they are also alive within us. In Jungian terms, they would be described as archetypes of the collective unconscious, shaping the way that we relate to the world, archetypes that incarnated in the realm of space and time in those whom we recognize as saints. Because this is what the archetypes do. They incarnate in the world of space and time. Just as Christ, the Logos, the Word of God, incarnated in Jesus of Nazareth. On All Souls Day, Roman Catholics pray for people who are in purgatory. I like this, even though I'm obviously not a big fan of purgatory. It's a reminder that our prayers are a way that we can connect with people not only in this realm, but in the realm of the kingdom of God, the realm that is both transcendent and also imminent. It reminds us that we are still in relationship with those who have passed on. A Roman Catholic nun, a good friend of mine, once told me how scrupulous, scrupulous she became about the practice of praying for those whose souls are in purgatory. She had been taught, and of course she believed, that our prayers shorten our loved ones' stay in purgatory. She was also told that you never know whether your prayer might be the one that brings about the person's release. Sort of like the story of the hundredth monkey. The nun didn't want to leave a loved one in purgatory for another thousand years simply because she was tired and wanted to go to sleep. So as a child, she tried to stay awake for as long as she could to pray for those lost souls. When she awoke in the morning, she felt guilty for having fallen asleep. She awoke every morning feeling guilty. This is just one more example of how the church seems to have a more than marginal propensity to take something meaningful and beautiful and twist it into something that is psychologically and spiritually unhealthy. Rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater, however, we should try to return to the original intent. All Souls Day is a day to pray for and talk to those who have gone before us. In the quiet of our communion service, let us think about those who have had a profound impact not only on the church and on the world, but also and especially on our lives. It might be a parent or a grandparent, husband or wife, friend or a child. Though they no longer walk this earth, they are alive in God's realm, and they are also alive in our hearts. If we talk with them, and if we are very still, 
we may hear what they would say to us. I think of both of my parents as saints. They taught me a lot about God and Jesus, not only from their words and by bringing me to church every Sunday, but also from the way they lived their lives. I remember the pastor of our church, Maple Street Congregational Church in Danvers, who reached out to my mother and me while my father was away in World War II. Reverend McElroy made sure we never went without. I remember my third grade Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Anderson, who fed us Ritz crackers and stuck pictures of Jesus on a flannel craft board. She let us know that the church was a place where we belong and where we were loved. I remember Reverend William Reese, the pastor of the Pawtucket Congregational Church in Lowell, the church I served as youth minister when I was in theological school. Reverend Reese taught me by word and example what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a pastor. I am who I am today partially because of these people, because of the communion of saints. I know my mother and father, Reverend McElroy, Reverend Reese, and Mrs. Anderson, did not think of themselves as saints. They were ordinary people through whom I experienced the love of God. I have the same feeling about this church. I've experienced the love of God from you and with you. The communion of saints is right here, right now. The Apostle Paul begins his letters to the members of the church at Ephesus with the following salutation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's clear from this salutation that Paul is speaking to the members of the church of Ephesus as if they were saints. His salutation challenges us to broaden our concept of sainthood, our understanding of what it means to be a saint. It challenges us to think not only of the great people in our religious tradition who have been officially designated as saints, not only of great people in our lives whom we have experienced as saints, but also to think of ourselves as saints, to live our lives as saints who are faithful to Christ Jesus. In the quiet of our communion service, let us be present to the great crowd of witnesses, the great men and women in the history of the church, the saints who have gone before us. Let us be present with those people who are an important influence in our lives, those who have gone before us but who are still present in our lives. And let us embrace the Apostle Paul's call to be saints. Jesus called to be his disciples. As we gather around this table, let us be in the presence of the one who fills us with his spirit and who graces us with his presence, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. This morning on a special day, we are called to remember we remember God's great love for us. We remember Jesus' life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, and his continued presence as the Holy Spirit, both within and among us. We remember the covenant we make with each other and with the world. 
But God, remind us that we are called to minister not only to each other, but also with each other. That we in this little church are called to be saints, bringing that precious spark of light that has been entrusted to us into the darkened corners of our nation and the world. God, bring to mind in these moments all those who have been an important part of our lives and also our spiritual formation. Help us in these moments to feel the presence of those whom we love, those who have passed into the nearer presence of you. And remind us that we, like them, are called to be partners in Christ's service. We ask this prayer in his name and in his spirit. Amen.